G'day everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Leno's podcast. In today's episode we're going to discuss Riverfire at the Festival of Brisbane uh, that I attended the other day. Also I did some uh, portrait shooting uh, not long ago and I'll talk to you about the lenses and um, the scene that we did and daylight saving does start again this week for the southern states next Sunday. We're going to have a bit of a debate about it, the pros and cons of daylight saving and why Queensland still refused to have it. Okay, before we start talking about river fire, um, September is the time of year where the AFL and the NRL finals take place and um, the Australian Football League have just recently had their grand final where the Richmond Tigers were way too good for the GWS Giants, Greater Western Sydney, made their first grand final appearance. They joined the AFL, I think, back in 2011 or 2012 and have done a really good job to make the grand final about seven years later. Uh, they beat Collingwood the previous week. And many are saying that it should have been a Collingwood-Richmond grand final. And I tend to agree it would have been awesome to see an all-Melbourne grand final. I'm not a fan of interstate teams um, in the AFL, but obviously there has to be expansion for the game to grow. Apparently, back in the 70s and 80s, all the teams in the AFL, as it was known, the VFL back then were all Melbourne-based teams with the exception of Geelong. Well done to Richmond. Their second premiership in three years, and uh, they're becoming a really dominant force in the AFL. So uh, it was a one-sided um, game. I like to see close games in both the NRL and the AFL, but uh, Richmond were just way too good for GWS. But um, Greater Western Sydney will learn from it, and I'm sure they'll bounce back next year. And I'm sure that's, that, that will not be their last grand final appearance if they keep their current roster. I think GWS... I've got brighter things ahead of them. As for the NRL, the grand final is next Sunday on the long weekend and the Canberra Raiders will be playing the Sydney Roosters. The Sydney Roosters are in their fourth grand final this decade and their second consecutive grand final. They're going for back-to-back premierships and that hasn't been done since the early 90s when Brisbane did it in 92-93. As for Canberra, their first grand final since 1994. So they've gone through a long time without tasting um, success. Uh, I think they were in a preliminary final a few years ago against Melbourne and they um, just missed out. But now they've made the grand final and they beat my beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs. I'm a South Sydney fan, as some of you may know, and I was bitterly disappointed that Souths didn't win. But Souths just weren't good enough, and uh, that's the second year in a row we have bowed out a week before the grand final. But Canberra were too good. Well done to Canberra. It's going to be a great grand final this coming Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. My tip, I think the Raiders uh, will get over in a little Cinderella fairy tale story. So that's – and then that's it. And then the sport's over for, for rugby league and the AFL, and then it's cricket season until next March. Over the weekend, I attended my first ever river fire. And uh, the river fire in Brisbane is part of the uh, Brisbane Festival. And it actually marks the last day of the Brisbane Festival. Uh, They do this every September since 1996, I believe. And uh, 
It's Brisbane's biggest fireworks display. It's actually bigger than New Year's Eve in Brisbane. And uh, I've been up in southeast Queensland the last five years, moving up in October 2014. I've always wanted to go up and witness and look at river fire over the last four or five years since I moved up. However, I was unable to because of work commitments and getting up there late afternoon, uh, it would be just impossible to um, try and park and find a spot and so forth. And I've had some friends that I know that's in a car club that have invited me every year. But uh, once again, um, and they view River Fire from a building in South Bank where one of the people worked there. But uh, you've got to be there by 3, 3.30 uh, before they close the roads to, to get into the parking lot there uh, where the building is. So um, I've never really bothered going up, but I was able to get away from work early this time at the last minute. A friend of mine, Jeanette from Sydney, is up here uh, at Brisbane over a few days and she said, Glenn, let's go to River Fire. She pretty much did, didn't give me a choice and I said, all right, I'm going. So I managed to get off work early and the original plan was we we're going to go to Eagle Street Pier and view from there. And then I got a message from her on Saturday saying that plans have changed and we're going to shoot from Wilson's Outlook, which is probably the best spot to view the fireworks as they go off over the bridge. And how all that come about was there's a guy I follow on Instagram that I met him for the first time, Brizzy Picks. His name's Mark. And he got there early in the morning on Saturday to secure a spot. And what the plan was... Uh, it all depended on wind direction because wind plays a big part in fireworks with the smoke and so forth. So if the wind was blowing from the south, we're all going to shoot from Eagle Street Pier and uh, look north towards the Story Bridge. Um, but the wind was blowing sort of west-northwest, so that uh, location wasn't ideal for photos. So Mark, many thanks to him, he secured a spot. He was there early in the morning on Saturday and minded a spot for a few other people, and we managed to fit in near the fence there at Wilson's Outlook and got a really good spot to take the fireworks. So many thanks to Mark, Brizzy Picks. Much appreciate you helping other photographers to get a chance to view something special. And my experience of River Fire, was, it was awesome. I uh, pre-booked a parking um, spot in a parking station in the middle of Brisbane, and it was about a 20-minute walk from there to Wilson's Outlook. And surprisingly, now the parking stations weren't full, so I probably didn't have to pre-book. And then I walked up, and as I was walking up along the river, I saw this massive plane. It was huge, and it was the, the C-17A Globemaster, and it, it flew past pretty low. Uh, probably a couple of thousand feet at best, and uh, just couldn't get the camera out of the bag in time to take photos of it, but I still got to see it. And then about 5.30, the FA-18 Super Hornet did a fly past a couple of times, and that is fast, and you have to be really quick with a fast shutter speed when, um, when taking photos of the plane. Now, I was shooting with a 70 to 200, um, Thanks to my mate Steve Barati, he's lent me a few lenses to try out over the last two or three weeks, and I was going to use the 200 to 500 that he lent me, but I didn't want to lug around heavy gear, but it turned out that's the lens I should have used, so I would have been able to zoom in more 
to um, the F-18 plane. But I just dealt with the 70 to 200 and uh, still got some decent shots and just had to crop heavy. Um, and I posted one of those plane shots on my personal Facebook. Uh, now, shooting fireworks is pretty tricky. Um, I've never really been the best at it. Um, I've shot a couple of New Year's Eve fireworks on the Gold Coast over the years and wasn't really happy with what I got. Uh, surprisingly, I haven't yet to shoot New Year's Eve in Sydney. I think 2013 or 2012, I was at a spot there, but it was very the view was very obscured, so I didn't bother. So um, that's my next goal is to shoot New Year's Eve fireworks in Sydney sometime down the track. But uh, what I've learned with shooting fireworks is I find what's best is three to four second exposure. You've got to put the ISO up a bit just to counter for that so it's not too dark. And um, in post-processing, if you use Lightroom or Photoshop, right, don't raise the shadows too much because if there is lots of smoke, the smoke stands out a lot more. So it's sort of best to have a darkish image. So that was my um, experience for shooting fireworks, three to four seconds. And obviously you've got to try and capture the photo when the fireworks sort of start to explode up in the sky. So it's tricky. But the good thing about river fire is it's a, it goes for about 20, 25 minutes. So you've got plenty of time to experiment with different settings in that time. So uh, I was happy with the images that I um, come away with. And uh, I posted them on Instagram and Facebook. And <clears throat> the atmosphere was great. And uh, Jeanette ordered Deliveroo, which is like Uber Eats. And we ordered Betty's Burgers, and uh, I think Jay wanted to, she put the order in about 6 o'clock. Uh, fireworks were at 7, and the guy didn't come until 10 to 7, and we were all stressing out because we didn't really want to eat our food while we are concentrating on taking photos. So on her app, he was riding a bike, and he was going around in circles, and he had absolutely no idea where we were. So I don't know if this guy was his first day on the job. I kind of felt sorry for him because he would have had a shit night because they would have been fairly busy with delivering because there's a lot of units and apartments around that area. So no doubt being an event like that, people just prefer just to eat, take away and so forth. So Jay rang him up and said, where the hell are you? Fireworks are going off in five minutes. And he said, I'm not far. I am lost. Luckily, I walked down 100 metres or 50 metres or whatever it was and I saw him walk into this other apartment that was nowhere near where we originally put the address in. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, are you Carlos? He said, yes. And I scared the crap out of him. He nearly tripped over. He had no idea. I said, look, we're up here. We're 50 metres up the street. It's all sorted. We got our food just before 7 o'clock and we scoffed it down before the fireworks. So it was a close call. I wouldn't say that was a dampener for the night, but a bit frustrating if you want to eat well before uh, the event starts. But um, all in all, the atmosphere was great. The crowd was great. Everyone was very friendly. Brisbane is a very friendly city. I'm not saying Sydney's not, but the atmosphere is so different up in Brisbane. And um, I'm definitely going to go to River Fire next year. It was a really great event. And uh, next year, I want to try and get an apartment of some sort and maybe um, stay up there a day or two. And I might have actually do some changes next year. I don't think I'm going to do Vivid, and I might have my holidays around September 
and uh, do River Fire. It was a really great event and it was great to meet some photographers. I think Adrian was another photographer that uh, I met there. Adrian Wedderburn, I think his name is, and Maureen, um, which we follow each other on Instagram and that I think we finally met on the weekend as well. So it was just great to have a bit of a yarn and chat and the... Um, I think Triple M in Brisbane supplied the music for the fireworks and they had some really good songs on there as well, mind you, and I put a couple of stories up on Instagram. Um, getting home was a bit of a pain. Um, uh, Jeanette was uh, kind enough to drop me back at the parking station so I didn't have to walk, but the uh, as you can imagine, the centre of Brisbane, uh, the traffic was pretty much gridlocked for a while um, because up to 600,000 people go to this event. And um, it took me a while to get out of Brisbane. But once I got on the freeway on the Riverside Expressway back to the Gold Coast, the traffic was free-flowing. But uh, that can't be helped. And uh, there were a lot of buses in the city as well, which uh, didn't help the cause. So uh, my first river fire experience, and it was 10 out of 10. And I definitely will be back there next year. Okay, the following day after River Fire, um, I was asked to do a portrait shoot. I don't normally do portrait and weddings and so forth. Um, the last really real portrait shoot I did was about three, four, four or five years ago now at Miami Beach. I took some photos of some people that follow me on my photography page and they're from Adelaide and they messaged me and said, um, I'm going to propose to her. Can you take a photo of me, you know, putting the ring on a finger and so forth? So I did that. It worked out really good. But it's not my style. Uh, landscape's my style. I love landscape and night photography and seascape and so forth. And um, But I don't mind giving it a go every now and again when I'm sort of in the mood. And um, I was approached uh, by a friend of mine last week. Um, she's due to give birth in about seven weeks' time. And she said, uh, can you do a, like a maternity uh, photo shoot of me and uh, I said yeah no worries so we organised it so um, we went down to Cabarita in northern New South Wales on Sunday afternoon and we met up there and um, we took well I took hundreds of photos and I had another friend of mine that was uh, with me and she aided me with uh, where to stand where she sits and that so it was really good to have someone to support me to know the best position to take photos of and I was just taking photos and uh, I also assisted in in the different uh, positions and that so um, now a friend of mine Steve uh, he was kind enough to lend me some of his lenses uh, a few weeks ago I've been using that 200 to 500 that I put some photos up on Instagram and he also gave me a couple other lenses the Nikon 70 to 200 2.8 and the 85 mil 1.4 which is uh lets a lot of light in and I thought I'll make use of those lenses uh, while I've got them to do this portrait shoot. So uh, I primarily used the 70 to 200 for the first part of the shoot while the sun was still in the sky and we had a bit of light at the back uh, that was shining on her hair and that and uh, um, they were really my favourite images when we had the sun out. The light does help a lot. And then as it got a bit darker, I changed to the 85mm 1.4 and that lets a hell of a lot of uh, – it's good for low light. Um, the only problem is shooting at 1.4, you've got to have your, your spot metering on target. Otherwise, you'll, you'll, you'll blur parts of the body, if that makes sense. So um, if you spot meter on the 
upper part of the body or the legs or so forth, then the, the face is going to be a bit out of focus. So uh, so I had the aperture at about 2.8, even on the um, 85 mil. Um, if I had my time over again, I would have probably just shoot with the 70 to 200 for the whole time because it's just more versatile. You can zoom in and out. You don't have to move around. With the 85 mil prime, prime lenses are normally better and sharper but then you've got to move your feet around. So um, so we did photos of different positions. We went down on the shoreline, got some reflection shots on the sand, and we got some really nice photos of the when the water's coming up on the shoreline, wrapping around a body and wrapping around our legs and feet and so forth. So we got some really nice photos there, and I was just processing them today. So it was a bit of fun, and it was good to do something different. And... Uh, She's seen the photos at the back of my camera yesterday after we finished and she was really impressed and, and over the moon. So I edited some of them and emailed um, some of the photos to her this evening and I really hope that she loves them. So it was a really fun afternoon. It was nice weather, a little bit windy uh, down in northern New South Wales, down at Cabarita. It can be busy down there, but nowhere near as busy as it is on the Gold Coast. Um, on a Sunday at Burley in Miami and that would be almost impossible to do a shoot where you've got no one standing in the background and um, down the coast it was a little bit better there was still some people around but we managed to get the angles right and that where there was minimal amount of people in the background so um, it worked out quite well so that's what happened on Sunday afternoon um, as I said I don't want to do it too often um, because landscapes generally the um, what I normally love doing but <clears throat> It's, it's a good learning curve to do different things. So um, if it's close friends or people I know personally and they want me to take some photos, I'm more than happy to do it. Okay, it's that time of year where daylight saving begins um, on the October long weekend uh, for six months. Uh, New South Wales, the ACT, Victoria, South Australia and Tasmania will commence daylight savings from this weekend until... I think the beginning of April, I think it is now. It used to be a lot shorter before. It used to be the first week in November, um, I think to the first or second weekend in March was daylight saving. So it was a lot less than six months. Uh, then I think Victoria and Tasmania and that, they, they extended it to six months several years ago. And then New South Wales finally followed suit. I think it was around the Sydney Olympics when New South Wales started to go um, for six months for daylight saving back in the year 2000. I think it's been six months ever since then. Uh, Queensland, Northern Territory and Western Australia uh, don't currently observe daylight saving. There have been a few referendums both in Western Australia and Queensland over the years. And I'll just go through uh, some figures with daylight saving in Australia. So it first was implemented in 1917 and 1918, so it went for two years. So every state in Australia had daylight saving in 1917 and 18, and then from 1942 to 1944, every state in Australia observed daylight saving as well. Uh, there was no daylight saving from 1944 to 1971. Everyone was in uh, uh, standard time over the summer months, and then from 1971. The ACT, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria observed daylight saving and they have had daylight saving ever since except for Queensland. 
they did commence recommence in 1971, but they only went to 1972 and then it was abolished again. And then in 1989, they had a trial from 1989 to 1992. And then there was a referendum in 1992 and the, then the vote was no. 54% of Queenslanders said no to daylight saving. Western Australia also had a trial from 2006 to 2009 and then they also had a referendum and the vote was no. So Western Australia still remain in standard time along with the Northern Territory and Queensland. So that was... Uh, that's some interesting facts uh, about daylight saving. Now, um, why Queensland don't have it? I think the southeastern part of Queensland are crying out for it. Uh, there are a lot more people from the southern states that have moved up from Victoria and South Australia and Sydney and New South Wales over the years. And obviously, they're used to having daylight saving down there. So when they move to Queensland, they're obviously missing it. And uh, that's why those people are no doubt in favour of daylight saving in the southeast part of Queensland. And I'm sure um, there are people that were born here in southeast Queensland that would be in favour uh, of it well. I'm just going to read the two the, the to and fro's for daylight saving. Um, there were pamphlets handed out during the 1992 referendum. And uh, there was a yes and a no case. And there were three main points for the yes and no for Queensland. And uh, for the yes, it was more usable outdoor leisure time after work. So if you wanted to mow the lawn or go for a stroll along the beach after work and so forth, especially those who finish at five and six, you've still got a bit of light there with daylight saving to go for a nice walk and so forth. Um, easier to do business with other states, which is a, a, an important thing. Um, if you live down near Tweed Heads on the border, it is a pain in the ass. Um, especially people that do business. You've got one side of the street in Tweed Heads that observes daylight saving and the other side doesn't. Luckily, Twin Towns Club, which is a club down on the border, they observe Queensland time even though they're in New South Wales because it did get confusing. Um, I've had a few issues with my phone where it's automatically changed over to New South Wales time when I've gone across the border. If I've gone down the coast to do sunset or just go for a drive, a lot of the time, my phone doesn't change back to Queensland time. I think there's just a problem with my phone. I've actually got to restart the phone to get back to Queensland time. And I've been caught out a couple of times because the next morning, I've rocked up at work and thinking it's 7 o'clock and I'm thinking to myself, how come no one's arrived at work yet? You know, everyone must have slept in or they're running late. It turned out I was actually at work at 6 o'clock in the morning and... Uh, because my phone didn't change back. So I leave my phone on Queensland time now when um, I go south of the border because it's a pain in the ass with the, ch uh, the time changing all the time. And I know some people that, down, that live down near the border that keep their phone on Queensland time because their phone just keeps jumping from New South Wales to Queensland all the time as it searches for different phone towers. That would be an absolute pain in the ass. Now, for the no case... The reasons for no for daylight saving in Queensland is they're saying that the sun already rises and sets up an hour later in the northern and western parts of the state. Uh, children will finish school during the hottest part of the day and the rural industries would be disadvantaged due to the lack of daylight in the morning when they perform critical tasks. So obviously the farmers and that like to get up early in the morning to start their day and do what they've got to do. But that third point there I kind of disagree with because in wintertime, 
there's lack of daylight in the morning anyway. And are they complaining about that? So that sort of doesn't uh, make sense in that regard. I've got a few other facts with sunrise and sunset times in Queensland and in New South Wales. Now, um, if you take Mount Isa, for example, they're in Western Queensland, um, and I'm pretty sure they still observe Australian Eastern Standard Time. Now, in the middle of summertime, around the solstice, so we're talking about December 21, so these sunrise and sunset times are for December 21, 22, when it's the longest day of the year. So in Mount Isa, the sun rises at 6 o'clock and sets at 7.23 p.m. Now, if, they had day, if Queensland had daylight savings, the sun would rise at 7 a.m. and would set at 8.23. So I can understand the sun rises fairly late if they had daylight saving in Mount Isa. I think the sun rising at 7 o'clock, that's more winter when that happens. So it would be a bit odd, the sun rising at 7am in the middle of summer in Mount Isa. So I can understand at Mount Isa why they wouldn't want it. Um, Cairns, uh, standard time, the sun rises at 20 to 6 in the morning and sets at 10 to 7 um, in the evening, in, in the middle of summertime, in the solstice. If Queensland had daylight saving, the sun would rise at 6.40 in the morning and would set at 7.50 at night. So 6.40 is still late for sunrise in summertime. So I totally get why people in that area wouldn't want daylight saving as well. Down here in Brisbane in southeast Queensland, uh, we don't have daylight saving. The sun rises at 4.45 in the morning on the 22nd of December and it sets at 6.45 at night. So we don't get that much uh, light of a night time. It's pretty much dark by 7.30. Uh, if you look at Sydney, 7.30, the sun's still in the sky. So um, if we had daylight saving in Brisbane, the sun would rise at 5.45 and would set at 7.45. That's perfect. So the sun's still rising before 6 o'clock. So it's still fairly early in the morning, and you get that extra daylight where the sun would set at quarter to eight, and it would be completely dark by about 20 past, 25 past eight. I think for Brisbane, it's perfect to have daylight saving in the southeastern part of Queensland. Uh, moving into New South Wales, uh, I was going to use Broken Hill as an example, but I realised that Broken Hill uses Australia Central Standard Time, so they're in the same time zone as Alice Springs, Adelaide and the Northern Territory. So I took, uh, I used White Cliffs. So White Cliffs in the sol summer solstice on the 22nd of December, the sun rises at 6.20 and sets at 8.30 at night. So they get a pretty uh, late night in White Cliffs. Now, if there was no daylight saving in New South Wales, the sun would rise at 20 past five and would set at 7.30, sort of similar to Mount Isa. Now, I don't know about what the farmers and the people that live out in western New South Wales, if they're for or against daylight saving, but New South Wales have, have, have had it since 1971 and I don't hear many people complaining about it. If they had a referendum in New South Wales, I'm pretty sure it would be a unanimous decision for yes. So obviously the people that live out in western New South Wales do not have a problem with daylight saving in the summer months, and out in the White Cliffs, Wilcannia area, and Dubbo, and all out there, it can get just as hot as it does in Mount Isa. So I'm still at a loss why people in western Queensland the majority are dead against it when it's now hotter there than what it is in western New South Wales where they do have daylight saving.
It is a, definitely an interesting debate that will continue for many years to come. I feel eventually uh, southeast Queensland will get daylight saving, but you've got to draw the boundary of what is classed as southeast Queensland. There's no really official boundary as far as I'm concerned. It goes from the Sunshine Coast down to the border and west out towards uh, Toowoomba and Warwick and that. So there's still gonna you're still gonna have that situation where you're gonna have a part where there's gonna be an hour difference with, with two close cities or towns together, uh, especially out in the Darling Downs and Toowoomba. So you're gonna have to change the clock uh, in the time zone out there as well. So it can be a bit confusing. even if southeast Queensland does have daylight saving in the future, they're still gonna have an issue where where the border's gonna be for daylight saving time and Eastern Standard Time. So uh, my opinion on it is I've mo I moved up here five years ago and I'm used to not having daylight saving. Um, I can get up and do sunrise at 4.30 in the morning and still have plenty of time to get to work, but I'm lacking sleep. Uh, I spent some time up here before I did get a job. I was up here for about five or six months and uh, I was getting up most mornings in the summertime to do sunrise and that. But I didn't care if I didn't get lack of sleep uh, because I could simply just come back home and make up for it and have a nap and wake up at lunchtime. So I'd make up for the sleep. I obviously can't do that now that I'm working. So it is a bit difficult now for me getting up really early in summertime to take um, sunrise photos. So I mainly just do it on my days off now. So uh, I'm not getting out nowhere near in the summer months to, to take photos. But uh, if we had a referendum here, uh, I would vote yes for it. Um, I don't have a problem with it, but at the same token, I'm used to not having it and I'm not going to lose sleep uh, if there was another vote and it was another no vote. So that's uh, the situation with daylight saving in Australia. It can be very confusing, um, but um, it is what it is and hopefully one day all of Australia uh, can adopt daylight saving, but I doubt very much that will ever happen. Thanks once again for listening to my latest podcast, everyone. I hope you have a great week ahead. Good luck to the Raiders and the Roosters in this week's NRL Grand Final. Have a great week. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next episode. Bye for now.